Hello, welcome to the Real Playing Exchange. This is Adam, and today we got a special interview. I am sitting here with Alton Wheelhouse of Dimension Games. Dimensions, yep. Awesome. And it seems like you've been pretty busy lately, Alan. What have you got going on? It has been insane. Just, uh, you know, this big project that we're kicking off. It's my first solo designed game called Dimensions. It's a simplified role-playing game system designed specifically to teach new players how to teach and experienced players, or excuse me, teach new players how to play and experienced players how to teach a role-playing game in an hour or less without losing any of the core things that make it fun and exciting. Awesome. So you got me hooked right now when you're talking about teaching because I'm in my day job. I'm not making all this great podcasting money. I am a, uh, a high school teacher. So excellent. I'm definitely going to pick your brain about that in a moment. So let's imagine that we're in an elevator. Like I need that pitch. Now, if it's a longer pitch, it can be, you know, the elevator stalls out and we have awkward moments <laughs> to feel. But so what would you tell someone about this game? Everybody is or knows someone who's wanted to sit down and play an RPG or be the hero in their own story. And Dimensions lets you do that without needing to spend hours understanding rules and have a degree to understand what's going on. It's just to sit down and play together, build the universe that you want to build, and explore worlds without end. It's very enticing. I dig that. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the whole goal, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. I've been playing role-playing games for well over a decade, professionally GMing them for about five years, going out to colleges and businesses and things like that. I had the opportunity to start my own game store a couple of years ago, and then shortly thereafter got invited out into a cabin in the woods with some of my wife's friends, none of whom were gamers. Yeah. And one of them came up to me with a uh, popular cup and dice game. I don't own the copyright, so I won't get you binged for that. <laughs> but he came up and he asked, oh, can we play D&D with this? I said, well, no, but there's no reason that we couldn't play a similar game. I just don't know of any rule sets that are easy enough that we could just sit down and play. And so it became my personal challenge to try to figure out how to take everything that's great about Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder and GURPS and Shadowrun and every other RPG that's out there and boil them down to its simplest form so that I could sit down with somebody who'd never played a serious game before and make sure that they had a good time and were encouraged to try to move on and find bigger and better things. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, I've just sat down and for the first long time, it just kind of mold in the back of my head over and over and over. Every time I played a game, I'd take something away and write it down and take something away and write it down until I finally had a couple of key breakthroughs, sat down, set up my first prototypes. The first three groups that I sat down and uh, played the prototype with, all of them within 48 hours had contacted me individually and asked for a copy of the game. And at that point, I decided, you know, if it's this rough and people want it, I got to do everything that I can to try to bring it to the world. And so, you know, I found since then uh, good partners and, and people who can help me really get this thing going and take it to the next level. And now we're at the point where we're getting ready to launch our Kickstarter. And uh, it's really exciting to see it finally come into a physical existence, you know. I definitely feel like you're going to be filling a niche with this product. I mean, everyone wants to play, but... You know, I would almost say that sometimes jumping into role-playing games is kind of like trying to learn guitar with those self-help videos that yep. you used to see. And it's like, okay, here's a G, here's a C, and here's a little bit of Clapton for you. And it's just kind of, 
it can be a daunting task. Oh, yeah. You know, the big thing that I sat down as, as I've been talking with everybody about us is that there are three main things that keep people from trying a role-playing game. Uh, the first is cost, the second is complexity, and the third is time, right? Yeah. So And, and so those were the three big things that I wanted to solve for. First, obviously, cost, you know, if we can keep the components down instead of people needing to buy 10 or 12 books, you know, if we can keep it to something simple enough to fit in your pocket and carry with you wherever you go, which we've accomplished, then we succeed there. The second, obviously, being the complexity, which we've already talked a little bit about, boiling it down so that it's easy to understand. Fundamentally, if you can count, you can play Dimensions. We've been playing it with four-year-olds, and they understand it and have a great time. And then the last being the time component. You know, where again, we're building adventures that if you just want to sit down and play, you don't have to spend time figuring out a story. You can just plug in and play with our optional adventure portal. Or if you feel confident, you know, this is a great rapid prototyping tool because you don't have to worry about heavy rules complexity. You can just sit down and dole out pain to your players as, as however you see fit. <laughs> So you've, you've got me intrigued here. So uh, two of the questions I have in my mind, first off is with the default setting, mm -hmm. what can a character expect? Are you going kind of in the vein of the high fantasy or so how's that set up? Yeah. So that's actually one of the exciting things about this system and why we call it Dimensions is because we've purposefully designed it to be universe agnostic. So if you're a horror buff, and you want to go out and do high horror or Cthulhu or whatever, you can take it and the system is simple enough that you can just drag and drop and play. As far as content that we're creating for ourselves, obviously we're starting with support for high fantasy. It's the most accessible. Everybody knows the framework and understands it. But in our first season of content, we also have plans for a steampunk world, a Victorian steampunk and a dystopian sci-fi, think StarCraft and Warhammer, things like that. We have two additional seasons at this point that we've made plans for that take us to a number of other realms and let us revisit some of the things from these first realms. But with each of them, we're designing unique character cards, uh, some unique advanced mechanics that you can incorporate into the game when you're ready to add more texture, and entire storylines that allow you to explore those worlds in the level of detail that you want to. Okay, awesome. You know what? You really had me at the dystopian theme because it seems like a lot of YA literature that uh, kids are reading in high school these days is that's kind of a reoccurring theme. So I can see this as, you know, possibly being something that would be beneficial for someone's English classroom. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and that's the big thing, right, is that not everybody thinks in terms of swords and magic. For some people, they want to escape to a different world, and oftentimes people get so caught up in the minutia of developing a role-playing game that they forget about how to make sure that their audience is connecting and having a good time. And so, you know, as a tool for people to be able to jump in and communicate with each other, gather around the proverbial campfire, if you will, and relearn how to tell stories and engage with each other, you know, Dimensions is a great entry-level product. It'll never replace D&D. It'll never replace any of those other high-end systems that are really specialized and designed to take you deeply into those worlds. Yeah. But we have taken everything that we can possibly do to ensure that you keep the essence, you keep the core, and there's plenty of content for everybody, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time playing a role-playing game. Awesome. So why don't you set the scene for me here? How would, how would a combat counter or a role-playing game 
just regular situation work within your uh, game. So, you know, I'm yeah. kind of thinking like dice-wise, uh, everything. Yeah, so going back to that cabin in the woods, right, the, the big thing that he brought out was this cup and dice game, you know, uh, six D6s. And so we've designed the entire system around rolling D6s. Uh, the minimum is obviously zero. The maximum is five. So again, that simple simplicity, right? Small kids should be able to sit down and play with you without too much complexity. Yeah. Uh, and mechanically, it's always your roll against mine. Whoever has the higher sum on their dice wins. Uh, so if you're rolling two dice and get an 11 and I roll two dice and get a seven, you win. In the event of a tie, ties go to the player. Um, and then uh, on the card itself, there are five different stats. Uh, the first, and I'm just going to explain them as though you've never played a role-playing game before. So if anybody out there is listening, you'll be on board with what's going on. Sounds good. So the first is strength. Strength is your ability to crush a tomato or slam one into the side of your enemy's head. It's also connected with melee combat, meaning hand-to-hand, swords, things like that. The second is dexterity, which is your ability to dodge a tomato or throw one at your enemy accurately, quickly, and far. This is also used for ranged attacks. Think bow and arrow, throwing knives, chucking a rock, whatever, right? The third is intelligence, which is both your ability to know that a tomato is a fruit and be able to summon one magically at will. In combat, you use it for magical attacks, being able to throw fireballs or uh, what have you, or spin up a robot, things like that. Uh, The fourth is charisma, which is your ability to sell a tomato-based fruit salad or convince somebody that your tomato is secretly a dragon in disguise. Uh, Typically not useful in combat, but it's going to be able to get you around combat or out of tricky situations. And then the fifth and final stat is luck which has nothing to do with tomatoes whatsoever. So I'll explain it a little bit more in detail in just a second. Okay. Uh, so basically, throughout the game, you're going to be asked to make various checks. So for example, I could say make a strength check, and on your card, you'd have a number of dots underneath strength. You'd roll that many dice. I, as the storyteller, have a different number on my screen or pulled out of my head, and I roll that many dice. Whoever has the higher sum wins. In a situation where, let's say, you have no dice in a given stat, or you would just rather not roll the stat that I've asked you to roll, you can instead use luck. Uh, However, it has some special rules. When you do, after the roll is complete and all special effects have resolved and everything else, you permanently lose a die from your luck pool. You can gain additional dice anytime that you roll all sixes on a given check. So if you're rolling one die and get a six, you get a luck die in addition to your roll. If you roll two dice and get a 12, you get a luck die in addition to your roll, etc., etc. And foundationally, that's all the math that you need to know to play the game. I really like that. Is uh, rolling six is the only way to get more luck? Does any come back if you like leveled up and spent points? Yeah, so when you level up, your hit points improve, one of your non-luck stats improve, and then you do add an additional die to your luck pool. There are also special abilities with some character cards that enable you to gain additional luck dice or transfer luck dice, things like that. Well, you are 100% correct. This sounds like a really nice, simple, elegant system. Oh, yeah. Again, you know, the goal here is not to take anything away from the role playing, it's to enable players to engage and tell stories in as easy a way as possible. You know, a lot of people, when they first approach a role playing game, they look at the $150 worth of supplies and the seven hours needed, and they shake their heads and go, I don't even want to put on a hat and say a funny voice, you know? But uh, role-playing doesn't have to be any of those things. 
is just kind of what we've come to expect of it. Yeah. And so when we look at a role-playing game, we say, okay, the first thing obviously is that we're telling a story. And realistically, I don't need dice to tell a story. I need some sort of mechanic to make it interesting, right? If everybody just always succeeds at what they do, then there's very little room for growth. And so we introduce basic dice mechanics to help spur that along and make you think on your feet a little bit. But from there, it's just about making sure that you have the framework to understand the world that you're in and make educated decisions based on your strengths and weaknesses. Do combat situations get modified with, like, say, dice and stuff like that? Is there, like, when when dealing damage, say, for example, what goes into effect on that type of row? Yeah. So typically, uh, again, it works very similarly to any other check. You know, I say I'm going to make a melee attack against the goblin. And so I roll my strength stat against their strength stat. And whoever has the higher uh, sum deals damage to the other person equal to the number of dice that you rolled. So if I roll two strength dice and win, I deal two damage to you. Now we do have weapons and things like that that do very basic modifiers, but we try not to lean on those as a crutch so that again if you're playing with your 6-year-old, you know, they don't have to do a ton of math. They can count the number of dots that they see and be able to confidently make their decision. Okay. Okay, I like that. So it seems like a lot of work's went into this and a very well-informed work. Uh, what kind of experience are you bringing to the table here? Yeah, so again, you know, the biggest thing is my background in role-playing games. For the last five and a half years or so, I've been invited out to company parties and libraries and college campuses and things like that to go and run events for people, and I get paid for that, and that's pretty cool. And so that has really equipped me to see a lot of the common concerns and problems that people have had with traditional role-playing games. Uh, On top of that, I've been involved with a couple of uh, smaller projects behind the scenes, um, helping them to break down their math and uh, write their rule books and things like that to make it as clear and easy to, to play as possible. And then my professional background before I started doing games was actually in process design and improvement worked for several you know, multi-million dollar companies, helping them identify problems and solve them, bring them down to their simplest forms so that they could save money or make money or put people in the right places to get things done. And so I've been able to apply a lot of those principles into this framework as well to be able to really think about what is it that we're trying to accomplish with a given stat or ability or check And how do we make sure that it makes sense both from a thematic standpoint and from a game design standpoint? I also am very blessed to uh, be personally acquainted with Tracy and Laura Hickman, classic game designers from original D&D, creators of Ravenloft and Dragonlance and a number of other worlds. And they've been very kind to me throughout this process to let me bounce ideas off them and share their experiences in history. Gotten to hear a lot about the early days of Gary Gygax and a lot of the design lessons that they learned early on with D&D and that they've been able to evolve on over the years. And so it's, it's put me in a unique position to be able to present a product that I really believe everybody can enjoy. So, yeah. I keep going back to, you were talking about this, and this is what, obviously got me interested in uh, your product in the first place with it being an introduction game to people. So while some of this has you know previously been stated in other questions, like you're, you're brand new newbie mm-hmm. jumping into the hobby, 
what do you hope for them to accomplish by the end of their first session? Like, what are your kind of uh, bulleted go points that one should hopefully take from their first session? Yeah, so the goal by the end of the first session is that you should know all of the basic mechanics of the game. Uh, You should have started to experiment with doing outside-of-the-box things, and if you're a first-time storyteller, you should be familiar with both how to help players make decisions and how to resolve decisions that players make outside of the boundaries of the game. So everything that you need to play a complete game of Dimensions exists in the starter box, which is little bit larger, maybe a third larger than a cigarette case, it fits in your pocket, including the basic rules. But we have an optional digital portal that you can connect to uh, where we have pre-built adventures ready to go, and they're designed specifically to guide you through the process from the beginning to the end. So at the very beginning of the level, there's a lot of exposition kind of guiding you how to make choices, and it appears very similar to the old choose-your-own-adventure books. Okay. Where you read a line of text, you interact somehow, and then based on those interactions, there are choices that you make at the end of the text. And so it's very, very simple, very, very easy for the first-time storyteller to sit down and navigate, how do I walk through this? At the same time, on the storyteller's screen, we're displaying tooltips and advice saying, hey, this is a strength two check, have them roll their strength stat in your two dice. Or once they eventually get to what we call a soft node, which is a node in which players are able to make decisions that may not be encoded into the game itself, there's an entire system that walks the storyteller through how to resolve those kinds of situations. And we've been very conscious about both the narrative and the level design to make sure that at the beginning of the game, it's very simple, very straightforward. And then by the end of the game, if we've done our job, the players have opened up to this idea that if I want to do something, there's always a way. You know, there's never an explicit no in the game unless the storyteller is getting so overwhelmed that they need to step back and you know, yeah. readjust. Well, what you're, de- you're basically describing to me sounds like scaffolding that we discussed in education where you give someone the basic core foundation. And then I would assume that in session two, you're going to drive those bullet points home again, but you're also with the freedom that the player has discovered in the first session, you're going to be able to build upon those experiences? Exactly. Yeah, you're capturing it right on the point. We've designed, so for the first three realms that we're visiting, we've designed six episodes in each realm. And by the tail end of those six episodes, the number of options available at any given point become you know much bigger than in the very first episode. And the ways that you affect the world around you also have increased dramatically. One of the cool things that I've gotten to do as part of this process is actually develop a couple of unique algorithms and processes that are all being taken care of by the computer so that you don't have to, uh, keeping track of stats and hits and misses and all kinds of things, so that even if you and your buddies play the game separately, take the exact same paths, if you don't get exactly the same roles and make exactly the same decisions, you're going to end up with different endings and content. And the whole point being that we want to encourage players to play their first time, feel a little bit uncomfortable in the first five minutes, get more comfortable with it over the next 30 minutes, by the tail end, be excited and ready to play again, so that if they want to go on and do the next adventure, it's right there ready for them and they're able to pick up where they left off. Or if they want to take a break and maybe introduce it to their friends when they sit down to run it, thinking that they know exactly which room the boogeyman is in, they start to play and realize, hold on, things are different. This is not what it was. And then they go back and explore it. And we have a whole system of achievements and and 
Easter eggs and background information, lore bits that you can only get by exploring all of the different possible paths. And we hope that by doing that, we are helping players become more and more comfortable with the system itself so that it becomes more about the solutions and the stories than about needing to worry how many dice do I roll or how do I make this work. So it's just become second nature as the game goes on. Exactly. You know, that was the big question that I always ask and that I still always ask after every time that we play test any new concept or level anything is did the mechanics get in the way of the story? Because if they did, I've failed, right? My job is to enable you to tell the best story possible. And it's in the basic rules. If you can tell a story better than the one on the screen, I want to give you all the tools necessary for you to go and tell that story instead. Because I can't imagine every possible outcome, and I certainly can't create every world that you are possible of creating. Well, we both know that no plan survives contact with the players. This is true. This is true. But, you know, and this is something that I think you'll connect with as a teacher. You know, we have a unique opportunity, especially in my case as a game designer, which is that the moment you sit down to play Dimensions or any other game, there are two things. First, I'm in your head. I'm flipping switches. I'm turning knobs. I'm pulling levers. And you and I are interacting on a very deep emotional and psychological level yeah the second thing is is that by sitting down to play you've intuitively and intrinsically given me something Uh, obviously you know you've paid for the game or whatever but you're also giving me your time and your energy and your brain power which means that i have a responsibility to give you something back at least as good if not better than the amount of energy that you've given to me and so if we can create a system in which you're able to fill in the gaps when I can't personally be there to hold your hand, the stories that we can tell, the morals we can communicate, the lessons we can teach, and the connections that we can form are far greater than that of me taking you from point A to point B, telling you everything that happens along the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's more than just simple rote uh, memorization. This is the you know, the metaphor of, to you know, you can give a man a fish and, fi- and feed him for a day, but teaching a fish and he can eat for the rest of his life kind of deal. So it's, yeah, it's real enabling is what it sounds like. Oh, yeah. We're really proud of, of everything that we've been able to produce so far. And we've had many situations in which people have been able to connect with some part of themselves because they're able to solve problems inside of a framework that they understand and can control. And so they can project themselves into the story, project their problems onto the enemy and solve them in a way that is satisfying and cathartic. And so, you know, again, it goes back to that basic goal of I'm not trying to force feed you content or make you bend to my needs. I'm trying to give you a tool set that lets you do what you need to do. Sounds great. So I'm sold. I'm I'm definitely interested in this. So if I'm not, if I am to understand this correctly, you've got a Kickstarter for this project coming up. Yes, that is correct. On April 16th, we'll be launching our Kickstarter. Our website is live now, so you can go and get on the email list and find out more information about the game at dimensions.games. D-I-M-E-N-S-I-O-N-S dot G-A-M-E-S. 
you can also join our Discord server. There are links on our Facebook page and soon on our website, so you can ask questions and start to interact with us ahead of time. But the goal with our Kickstarter is to pay for the final art assets necessary to produce the game at the level of quality that we want to produce it. And hand in hand with that, you know, we've a number of stretch goals available to release content early and provide additional value into the community. The ultimate goal, if I can, as soon as possible, I want to be able to turn our adventure portal public facing so that you can step in and create your own adventures in a piece of software specifically designed to help you get there as quickly and easily as possible. Uh, but the first step is always is step forward and try the game. You know, if yeah. it's something that you like, share it. If you don't like it, tweet me directly and let me know what's wrong and I'll do everything I can to uh, fix the problem for the next game. <laughs> but uh, we really, our, our biggest hope with our Kickstarter is to reach as many people as possible and get this into your hands to be able to start to play. I'm looking at some of the assets you've already had created on the webpage here and they're definitely beautiful. Thank you. Of course, while we don't have goals or levels or tiers or stuff like that lined out here. All of our Kickstarter tiers will be lined out a couple of weeks on the website. We're going to reveal them a couple levels at a time. You know, obviously the most basic is just a copy of the game, right? Uh, but we have all kinds of collector's packs and season packs and additional content uh, all the way up to we have a number of options to get you permanently written into the lore of the game or future episodes. The highest level, for any of you who are interested, uh, I'll just put it out there. If you want to drop $10,000 into my pocket, I will write you in as a god of the Dimensions multiverse. So you know, <laughs> uh, if you and 14 of your friends want to split it up and argue over who gets to become the god, I, I will totally support you and do whatever I can to help you put that money into the Kickstarter. But uh, you know, even if that isn't the level that you want to be at, we hope to provide a, a high level of quality. And, and value for everybody who's stepping in to help make this a reality. So, listeners, if you and 14 of your friends could, you know, each pony up $10,000, you could literally create your own Pantheon. <laughs> well, we, uh, we only have one slot reserved for <laughs> okay. a god, uh, but the god tier comes with 15 copy collector's copies of the game and a whole bunch of art prints and a special signed letter from the creative team and a whole number of other things. So, you know, you can split it up and argue amongst yourselves. Whoever puts in the most money gets to have their, their name and face in the game, you know? <laughs> is, uh, is this going to be physical rewards and digital rewards? Yes. So one of the key aspects for Dimensions is we wanted to make sure that you could take it with you wherever you go. So the physical game itself contains character cards, 24 dice, the complete rule book, a collectible box, and a uh, dry erase marker so that you can write directly onto the cards as you need to change stats and things like that. But we do have a digital-only version as well. It's not quite as cool as rolling dice across the table, but if you're just curious and want to try it, that's a route you can go. Cool. Is there any immediate, once a Kickstarter funds kind of thing that they would get, like a draft PDF or anything like that? We do have some plans for people who back us. Uh, we're going to be doing a number of things to help get everything going, uh, including exclusive access to a demo level that will only be live until the project officially launches and ships. That 
I'm really proud of. We've used some of the algorithms that I've designed to be able to create a matrix that has 20,482 possible paths and a number of special endings that you can only access via one path, including a number of key uh, lore bits and spoilers for the season one content that we're producing. So we're going to make sure to take care of our own. We've already ordered the majority of the physical product to make sure that we can ship on time. The big piece that we're waiting on is just getting those art assets across the finish line so that we can build a product that's representative of our community and, and what people want to see in a game, you know? Yeah. So yeah, uh, super pleased, very glad with the direction that everything has gone and uh, hugely grateful both uh, to you guys here at Roleplaying Exchange and, and everybody out there in the community who has supported us up to this point and who's planning on supporting us now and in the future. My biggest hope is that we can create a, a product and a story that you love and that you can cherish and build the next generation of gamers. It's funny that you mentioned the next generation of gamers. My daughter is six years old. She'll be turning seven in beginning of May. I've got a uh, nine-year-old nephew, and I've just like you know I've looked at other games out there, that, but I would love to get my family into the hobby. And you know I've I've glanced at other stuff, and you know I didn't even sit down into this interview thinking about my daughter, but this looks like this may be the perfect opportunity for family game night where I can sit down and you know get the kids into it and help foster the love for the hobby that we both so love. Oh yeah, you know, and that's that's one of the big things to us. And and I think this will probably be the last big push that I say. I know I've been very wordy today. Thank you everybody for listening to droning. But, you know, this will above all else, I I think the thing that I want people to feel and know about dimensions is that it's for everybody, right? If you or somebody you know has felt isolated or alone or stressed, confused, either about how to play a role-playing game or how to connect, you know, reconnect with the people around you, uh, Dimensions is for you. You know, we want to make sure that you have those experiences where you sit around the table with your family, your girlfriend, your daughter, your son, your nephew, whomever, and can tell the cool story that only you can tell and be the hero in the adventure that only you can be. And uh, this is just a tool set that will open the world to bigger and better things. Well, I'm sold. Thank you. This is beautiful. I do you have a question about the software that you keep alluding to? Is this going to be actually something that's downloaded or is it like web interface? So the current plan is that it is a web interface. Uh, we've designed it specifically in HTML so that if you have an internet connected device, you should be able to access it from anywhere, any device. And again, it's very simple. It's not going to drain your data and make everything miserable for you, but uh, we just want to make sure that it's as accessible and easy to use as possible. Cool. And the seasons that you mentioned, which maybe, I don't know, man, I, I, I play video games sometimes and, you know, seasons for games are actually, you've been using quite a bit. Of, it seems like a lot of the language that uh, goes into discussing video games here. So you've, you have your seasons. You've mentioned two of those and, well, I'm not asking you to hammer out a release date because there's a lot of things in the air. Is this more of an annual thing you're thinking or like what's the kind of working idea for that? Yeah, so 
our first season is a little bit content light, in my opinion. There's only six episodes per realm in the main storyline, and then we'll have some secondary one-off adventures. But a season is designed to encompass a single section of an overlying story arc. Uh, So our first season uh, is all about you discovering this secret organization that's bent on destroying the multiverse and trying to figure out not only what their intentions are, but how to find them and how to stop them before they accomplish their goal. And so over the three different realms, uh, you have three different story arcs in six episodes each uh, that take you through the interactions that are happening on that given realm. The plan in the future is that future seasons should be, or future story arcs within a given realm should be no shorter than eight episodes and as long as they need to be to tell the story. But the current plan, and this is very soft because it depends on how the Kickstarter goes, of course, is that we would be releasing a new realm every three to four months with a whole flood of content associated with that. New character classes and variants on existing character classes, advanced rule sets that match up with the given realm so that if you want to be really flavorfully accurate, you can know how to do that as well as the episodes of content themselves that allow you to explore the world in unique and interesting ways. The other cool thing about our particular model, because we have these digital modules, these digital adventures, is that as we create new content, we can go back and modify existing content. So you may find that you know a year down the road, you have a brand new character class that comes out, and if you go back and play some of the original episodes, a secret door opens up or you find a special weapon that wasn't there before or new lore to help explain what's going on in the current season. The hope is is that we can really engage our early adopters and give you the value and the tools to be able to explore this multiverse and help us tell the story. Wow. I'm serious. That is really cool. It's it's like a, a dynamic living document. Oh, yeah. You know, and we've got, oh, man, I know I keep saying that I'm going to end and then I keep talking. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) There are so many cool technical things about what we're doing, bits of math and coding that we've come up with and algorithms that help us to create variable difficulty and intelligent responses from the environment and all kinds of different things. You know, it's like I was saying, especially as you go through this demo that we've put together, there are 20,482 possible paths. But even if you take the same path twice, if your roles are different, if your party composition is different, or if you make a slightly different choice at one point, even if you move into the same area, you're going to be given different content, uh, new monsters and hidden paths and dialogue options that don't exist unless you get them just exactly right, you know? Oh, God. I never told you I taught computer science, did I? No, but I think you would appreciate this. Yes. You have me intrigued. I also teach a game design, a video game design class, so it's really, you're hitting the right buttons here. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, uh, I don't want to give away all of my secrets to the audience. But uh, maybe after we're off the air, I'll talk to you a little bit about some of the stuff that we got going on behind the scenes. Would definitely appreciate it. I stepped in, just hopefully optimistic, and I'm like I'm excited. I'm really I want to see your project do well. I want to sit down and play it with my family. Thank you. 
Like, I think you're doing good work here. Thank you. That's the goal. Again, you know, everybody just give it a try. It doesn't hurt to try. It's so easy. Yeah. And let us know what we can do to, to meet your needs too. Awesome. So I do have a couple of little personal questions about the side of the uh, game design aspect of working on dimensions. I guess in a nutshell, I'm, I'm really curious what you have learned about role-playing games and the creation process as you've set about this uh, monumental task. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of things, but if I had to boil it down to a couple of key lessons that I'd want future game designers to take away and learn from my mistakes, the first is, especially with role-playing games, story is king. And that doesn't just mean knowing where it starts and where it ends and how to get people from here to there, but how to integrate people into that story. Uh, Role-playing games are a unique medium compared to, say, film or a traditional computer game where there are only so many possible outcomes. Uh, Dimensions is set up such that if you want to take out a sword and lop off the head of the goblin, awesome, go and do it. If your next buddy says, well, I want to pull out my laser pistol and shoot the next goblin through the torso, sure, go for it. If you can prove, you know, if you can create a logical reason to me, the storyteller, that you should have a laser pistol while your buddy has a sword, congratulations, you have just crossed dimensions, you exist in a world where your first buddy was too dumb to understand that there's better technology around. (laughs) You know, and that kind of unique pivoting storytelling moment for now anyway, is only really possible through the use of a community tool where everybody's contributing and trying to progress the story in their own ways and are able to adapt to what's going on. And that means that the story that you have has to be able to adapt too. Yeah. The second biggest thing is don't get caught up in your head. Each of us views the world in a unique way based on experiences, our background, our knowledge, and everything that up until this point in our lives. And that means that we all look at the problem a different way. And oftentimes, when we look at a problem, we already have the solution in mind because of the experiences that we've had. And in those moments, it is vital that we step back and break it down to the simplest parts. What am I trying to solve? What am I trying to achieve? What do I want people to experience? And as you do that, more often than not, you break down your own barriers and it becomes easier and easier and easier to find solutions to the problems that you're encountering. And that's not to say that a more complex solution isn't valuable. In cases it is, and for many people, that's exactly what they need. But being able to step back and critically understand every piece of that component, the solution that you're trying to present, is important. Because if you can't justify something, it shouldn't exist. Sometimes you have to murder your darlings. Yeah, sometimes. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like if uh just as an example, let's say I uh I'm trying to get a hammer up to my father who's up on the roof working. There are any number of ways that I could do it. I could throw it, I could go get a ladder and climb up and hand it to him, I could tie it to a balloon and hope that it drifts his direction. But as we look at those solutions, we have to be able to justify why we're doing it. Yeah. So in the first situation, I'm throwing the hammer up onto the roof. Well, it's easy, it's fast, and it gets it from A to B without a lot of effort. So if that's what you're trying to achieve, maybe that's the best solution. If you're trying to do it the safest way, getting a ladder and climbing up and handing it to them and climbing back down, 
is probably the better solution. But you're solving for different problems. Even though it's the same outcome, you got the hammer up to your dad, you have to think about what am I doing that's getting me there? And in game design, that's absolutely vital because that's how we communicate information to our players is by assigning importance to the components that allow them to achieve their task. Okay. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of a wordy explanation, but... No, I I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. So it seems like it's breaking down everything as a utility. No, it makes perfect sense, though. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, again, that vehicle for story, right? Yeah. If you're designing a game to tell a story, then the story needs to take precedence. If you're putting obstacles in between your players in the story that are unnecessary, you've caused a problem. Definitely something to take to heart there. When we started this podcast, I think four years ago, five, the thing that I really wanted to do with this podcast is become a better game master and become a better player. And the podcast was kind of my vehicle to do such. With that in mind, do you have any advice that you would like to close out with to our listeners about, you know, either from the game master's aspect or from a player's like what you should do to uh, get into the hobby to better yourself? The biggest thing is if you have a story to tell, only you can tell it. And it doesn't matter whether you have it fully fleshed out at the beginning or not. It's a process. And as difficult as it can be, and as scary as it can be, every journey begins with a step. And sometimes that means putting yourself out there. I started playing role-playing games 10 years ago, and on my third session, the DM didn't show up. And everybody turned to me and said, you run it, you're the best at making things up. I had no idea what the mechanics were. I had no idea where the story was going. I clearly didn't know the other players at the table well enough to uh, make anything work, but I stepped forward and I did the best that I could. And it was a trial by fire. But I always look back to that moment and think about where it's brought me and the people that it's connected me to and the deep and fulfilling experiences that I've had. Because... When the moment came, I took the call to adventure and became the hero in my own story. So do that. You know, Don't be afraid. Feel the fear. Accept it. Let it pass. And then go and be great. Beautiful. Awesome. Role-playing games bring people together in a unique way. And that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, everybody be good to each other. If you're in a bad place, reach out to the people around you and, and let them know. And try to get help where you can. because. One of the important things about being a hero is remembering that there's a whole team of people out there to back you up, and uh, we got to help each other in the community, whether we're game designers or podcasters or players or content creators or what have you. Definitely. And Definitely. while while I need to be able to feed my family and take my wife to Disney World occasionally, there are bigger things afoot for me with Dimensions and with the upcoming games that I have designed, and you know, people are at the core of it. So definitely uplifting out and i appreciate your time sir i've enjoyed this immensely and appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, come by and talk with me i will uh, definitely be including the links to the kickstarter and yeah so i will definitely be including the uh, links to your kickstarter to dimensions homepage, and all the social media links that you have so i definitely want to encourage all of our listeners to take a few moments to check this out it sounds like it's going to be fun and 
exciting and maybe that first step for that person in your life to get them into the hobby that you love. Yes, sir. I'd like to thank you again for swinging by. Alton, where can they find you or find Dimensions? Yeah, so check us out at dimensions.games. You can also find us at Facebook slash Dimensions Games. You can tweet me directly at Talon Requo, T-A-L-O-N underscore R-E-Q-U-O. And if you go to the website, uh, you'll find plenty of other content and contact information. If you have any questions, reach out and we'll get you taken care of. Awesome. Thanks. And for those of you who have perhaps listened to Roleplaying Exchange for the first time, you can find us at www.roleplayingexchange.com. We are also on Twitter at RPX and then Change. And you can also find us on Facebook at you know, facebook.com slash Exchange. And finally, we also have a Patreon. So... If you can, we definitely would appreciate you to come go over and check it out. We have extra content that's not released to the general public. We provide all episodes uh, at least three days in advance so you can get the DL before everyone else. And for top tier level Patreons, we do in a quarterly uh, backer game. Thanks again, Alton. And best of luck at the Kickstarter. I'm looking forward to seeing where Dimensions goes. Thank you, Adam. And thanks, everybody listening.